Hello and welcome to Game Like Training Radio, powered by the Golf Science Lab, where we'll help you set up practice and learning environments to actually help you play your best game on the course and not on the range. Hey, I'm one of your hosts, Cordy Walker. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Cook. Today we're talking with a fantastic golf instructor. Her name is Trillium Rose. She is the head director of instruction at Woodmont Country Club in Rockville, Maryland. And her expertise is really in helping golfers develop skills and practice and in learning. And so this is a fantastic conversation because she has a lot of understanding about the theory and the research behind this, but also a lot of practical application working with all levels of golfers as a coach and as an instructor. So in this conversation, we are talking about feedback and learning the different types of feedback and the influence that they might have on learning. All right, so we're excited to be with Trillium Rose, and we're going to talk about feedback today, all the different aspects of it. But let's just start out with kind of when you hear the word feedback and we talk about golf and we talk about learning, what kind of pops to your mind, Trillium? What pops to my mind, well, a lot of stuff, but what pops into my mind are the two, two different main types of feedback. Feedback that you can give yourself or you, you pick up yourself and feedback that comes from elsewhere, from outside of oneself giving you information. Ultimately, if I take even a a more basic look at what feedback is, it's it's information that comes back to you. So it's information that 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 comes with an action and it gives information. And simply put, after you, let's say, you'd hit a shot, you've got all different types of modalities that can receive the information, perceive the process it, and then feed it back into your brain. So you've got your sensory system that can pick up on balance and very proprioceptive sort of features of, of the activity. And you, you could hear it, you could smell it, maybe you could, you know, of course, if you hit, were in a swamp or something and got into some thick water, you could certainly see it. And you, you certainly could sort of define by the ball flight, whether that was something you wanted to do or not. So those are all different ways that you can sort of get some feedback without having anybody around you. And I think that ultimately could could be considered intrinsic feedback, maybe an intrinsic feedback feedback that just comes from you. Now, if you needed something in addition to that, let's suppose you are hitting a shot and you don't know why it's going left. You may need some augmented feedback, and that's feedback that's going to come from something else. It may come from you taking a video of yourself and looking at oh, I, I see it's going left because my, I'm coming too much from the inside. Or maybe you put a, a golf ball down or some kind of some kind of a block in front of your golf ball to adjust the path and your club hits that. It hits that other golf ball. And so you realize, okay, my path must not have been good. That's also augmented feedback because it's something that's coming from, not coming from your own system. It could be someone else telling you something. So you know, your own system is one thing, but then in addition, in addition to that, or that augmented feedback is just another option. So I, you mentioned a ball flight in there. Is ball flight the main source of feedback that you look to as students? Or like, how does that factor in? Because it's obviously like what we all look at in, when we judge the swing, right? So how does that feedback factor in for you? Well, generally I look at the ball flight and I move back. So I will look at some somebody's swing, of course, but what their ball is doing matters a great deal. So 
I'm not the first person to look at it this way, for sure, and I hope I won't be the last. But in some ways, the swing is very, it's almost subjective to what the ball's doing. And yeah, there are certain parameters that we need to kind of adhere to if we want the ball to do certain things. But there is a lot of style involved, and there's a lot that can be can be made one's own, particularly if one has drawn on years and years and years and years of of doing it a certain way. What I'm getting at is if the ball flight, it should be changed, then we got to look at why the ball needs to be changed. And then I move back into how the, how the club is, is working through the forward swing and then how the body is affecting that movement. So that's kind of where I look at ball flight. I too hope that you're not the first and the last person to look at it that way. <laughs> I hope golfers out there all around the world look at it that way. <laughs> with feedback and different types of golfers that all coaches deal with, you know, from beginners, the, the novice golfer, all the way up to those expert golfers are the ones that you can class as obtaining more expertise or higher expertise. But how do you differentiate the amount and type of feedback or how, do, how would you differentiate it when you're working with your novice golfer to when you're working with you know, someone of more expertise who's playing on mini tour or something. How do you differentiate that? I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a huge, huge topic. And it's something that anyone who plays golf and anyone that facilitates playing golf, whether you're a coach or an instructor or, or simply a parent, I think need to need to really understand and really, and recognize so that, that your behavior and your own type of feedback comes in at a kind of an appropriate way. So let's start from the beginning, when someone's learning to play, there are so many things swirling around in one's mind and so many, so many ways to mess the whole thing up. I mean, I often think, I think of myself as putting fingerprints on somebody's swing when they're early. I'm really going to give them a lot of guidance very early. Why? Because they have no flipping idea what's right and wrong. They have no sense when something's wrong. And let's be, let's be fair. Golf is a complex sport. There are a lot of moving, the swing is a complex movement and there are a lot of things that, that are required to make everything happen. And of course, there are all these different, different, different demands on given the different circumstances. But if we take someone who's learning a very basic swing and they have no idea how to hold it, of course, they need to have guidance there. They, they don't know how to pot stand in their posture. So they need feedback there. And how many times can we have someone check during the swing, whether they're doing something correctly, not very many times because your brain can't handle all of that information at once. So although they do need a lot of corrections, we can't have more than one or two things per swing. So I think it has to be chunked into, into much more manageable sections or segments. So for instance, if someone's early in learning and they're learning their posture, you may have to reinforce the, the pelvic tilt. Well, okay, so let's fast forward that to an intermediate player, somebody who can shoot, let's say, 90, and they already have a swing, they have a concept of contact, but there may be some inherent issue in that swing that they have. So we're going to look over most of the things that they're doing and probably point out the good things just to keep somebody's attitude high. Then we've got to pick and choose what's one thing that's really going to make a big difference and what's the root of the issue with, for their their errors? And there may be five or six effects, but what's the cause? What is the cause? Why is that person not able to make consistent contact? And, you know, and that's where a good 
instructors is able to pinpoint one thing so that person doesn't have to think of five. They can think of one. You know, but that's very similar to the beginning golfer, but they may need to go through a lot of coaching time to get to that privileged point where they only have to think of one thing. All right, so let's just zip forward and we get to a much more elite level player, someone who can shoot par or better um, and do it consistently. So that person does not need to be thinking of all of these of these um, movements that they're inherently doing. And that's because they have done it well and they've done it well so much that that motor program, if, if, if you want to think of it that way, is more honed in and established in a more procedural part of the brain. And when we don't have to think with our prefrontal cortex about what's, some, what's happening, that's a good thing. Our prefrontal cortex, that's the executive command center, kind of the front portion of the brain. That's where we make decisions and we consciously thinking of how we are going to go through uh, a movement. And that's fine if you're making an adjustment. In fact, you need to do that if you're making an adjustment. But if you don't need to make an adjustment and you just need to let the movement happen, it's actually disruptive to pull your thinking or to pull that um, online step-by-step processing into that prefrontal cortex. So let me make an example of this. Let's say, talking about Ricky Fowler, just off the top of my head, Ricky Fowler knows how to hit a drive and... He's now standing over. He's standing over a uh, tee shot that with water on the right, water on the left, and a an exorbitantly long carry and lots of wind. So he makes a decision where to aim. He knows how to swing. A tee shot doesn't have a lot of variation from one one hole to the next. Maybe you're going to change your alignment. Maybe you might have a little bit. Maybe make small adjustments. But for the most part, one doesn't really need to be thinking about it. But if someone told him right before he were to make a swing, Ricky, make sure that you have a complete backswing or something like that, something that he already knows to do. And then he starts thinking about it. That's not going to help the swing. That's not going to help his performance. In fact, that potentially risks making it worse. So I think it's important that when we get into into situations where players have been playing for a long time, and I don't think they are just elite players, it may be that 90s golfer who's who's been playing for 55 years and who doesn't think about their backswing and they don't need to think about it. So let's leave it that way. If they don't need to think about something, leave it that way because it's only going to make it worse if they're thinking about something they don't need to think about. So I think to answer your question, the amount of feedback we give someone is in- incredibly important because what we're doing is essentially asking someone to, to break it up into their into the front part of the brain. And that is not always the best way to have someone play well. It may actually make it worse if they're overloaded with sort of cognitive thoughts. If you're enjoying this episode, head over to golfsciencelive.com slash better training and get four videos that we've put together to help you have a more game-like training learning environment. We'll dive into the specific things that you can do to get more out of the time that you spend on the range. GolfScienceLab.com slash better training. All right, let's get back to it. As well as differentiating the feedback and the amount and type for the beginner to the to the expert, would you differentiate and how would you do it or go about doing it? For example, a six-year-old child to that golfer that is 44 so not necessarily 
skill level, more about their developmental age. So we've got a six-year-old. A six-year-old does not have a very long attention span, as we know, and certainly is not trying to think about working on her D plane. So we have to keep the the level of technique at a minimum, if not completely out of it. So I, I think technique with the six-year-old is not abstract thoughts, not so good. In fact, at six, they're still trying to explore their own bodies and they are really capable of remembering maybe one cue. You can have one cue. So it could be something like tap your back foot, tap, tap, tap. So you're finishing the swing, tap, tap, tap. And that's it. Whereas someone who's 44, if we're, and if we're talking, are we talking about a new player or someone who's uh, rather proficient at 44? Oh, do you know what? Let's do both. Okay. A proficient one and a non-proficient one. Okay. So <laughs> a new, so we get a new player. He's 44 years old. And so this, this point, the, the person is quite developed. Their, their body and brain is developed, obviously, and able to handle abstract concepts. So we can, we can articulate a lot of things to that player and without worry that it's, it, it will be completely lost. However, if we put this into play, let's say someone's learning to make a backswing and we've just gone over the grip and the posture and we have them lined up the way we want. And you notice, okay, they, they've got a, a bit of a lean to the left and they're tipping over like a reverse pivot and they're collapsing both arms quite a bit and they're letting go of the club with their hands. Okay, so we've got lots of things that need to be corrected. So what I like to do is set somebody up so they can see a mirror and they can see me. So, so they're looking at themselves in the mirror. And if they look at the mirror, they can also see the front of me or they can see the back. So my back is to the student, as you can, you can kind of imagine here. So I like to make small swings, just getting one step right at a time. So halfway back and then let's check, where's your weight? Okay. My weight centered. Great. Let's do that again. Let's go back a little further. Now, where's your weight? Okay, the weight's still centered. So we might check one topic, but check it in phases. So I'm only getting through one thing at a time. But then once we get that right, okay, hang on. Now let's take a look at the arms. What are your arms doing? Now we can check that. So, all right, let's do that. Check the arms. Did we lose the weight? Nope, weight's still in the right spot. So. So I may also keep it to one thing, just like I did with the six-year-old, but because somebody can, they really can manage a few things in sequence, I might go over them a lot faster than I would with a six-year-old, or I might be a lot more specific with the description of how it's supposed to feel and how it's supposed to look if we're looking in a mirror. So that's kind of a difference between those two age groups or developmental stages. Now, let's say you get someone who's 44 and who's who's a good player, and then I'm going to I'm going to just completely pick out the one thing I think that's going to make a big difference. It may it may take a couple of steps, but it it maybe the root of it requires a little more discussion, but I'm I'm not I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to make everything change. So, I'm really impressed because almost everything you said when you've been talking about feedback has been an external focus. Uh-huh. And so kind of maybe diving into this topic a bit, but like do we need to simplify more? Like, would you say that the majority of folks out there, whether they're teachers or coaches, should simplify their feedback? And it, 
focusing on more of an external source of feedback, something away from the body. I know where you're going with this, <laughs> the internal external conversation. So just to summarize what internal external, so the external thoughts will be thoughts that are outside of one's body, maybe the, what the club is doing, it may be what the ball does, it may be something outward, whereas an internal thought may be how, how to make that motion within one's own body. And I'll come clean on this. I use both. And I think I use I use a lot more external thoughts with players that are that are along the way in terms of their proficiency. I may I may save the internal thoughts for those moments where someone's really having a tough time figuring out what it is that that needs to happen. And I, I certainly have those up my sleeve if I need them, but I don't start with those. I use those as as backup. And I think I do, I do find some success with those, but it's, like I said, it can make the process go a little bit faster if someone's like, what, how, how do I make, how do I make the club do that? And I'll say, well, do you see my elbow? See how my elbow's coming into my side? I think that would be an internal thought. Okay. So there's that little aha moment. Oh, I get it. The elbow, but very quickly that maybe it's not about them getting the elbow in, but then they, they realized that that was a way for it to, to work. Um, Back to your first comment about simplifying. Yes, simplifying is always a good idea. And I like Einstein's comment, make everything as simple as possible, but not simpler. So if we don't have to tell everybody how the watch works, then let's not. They want to know the time. Tell them the time. We don't need to tell them why. Of course, I think if you need to sell somebody on an idea, you need to, be ex you need to explain why. And sometimes there are players that really appreciate understanding where you're coming from. In that case, it's nice to paint a picture and explain, well, if you do A, B, and C, you're going to get D. And if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to get uh, whatever letter comes after Z. <laughs> <laughs> you, get my, you get my point, right? So I think if we can keep things simple, then the movement's already enough that they're trying to feel some change and it's complicated by the fact that you've got an, an, an instrument in your hand that you're trying to manipulate. And then you've got this third party, the ball, that, that you're also witnessing. So I think it's a lot. It's a whole lot. And if we can keep, if we can keep our feedback to the bare bones minimum, then I think we'd be doing our players a big service. Yeah, that makes sense. And this might be an elementary question to go back to, but when you're talking about feedback in this sense, you're talking about improving someone's swing or the way that they strike the ball. Is that right? Like we're talking about, about that, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. That's, that's right. That's right. Although it doesn't just have to be how, how they're swinging and how they're, um, how they're performing, say, in a, in a practice setting, it could also be this could also be on the golf course re referring to how someone reacted to a shot. So, and I know that Dr. Brett's a great person to weigh in on this and he's got lots of good, good commentary on here on this part, but I can think of lots of times where someone hits a shot and their reaction is, Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't what I had in my mind. Well, that's okay. That's okay. It wasn't in your mind. And I think it's important to to reflect on what you would have preferred to do. So I always encourage post shot practice swings. If you if you feel like you knew what didn't work, fix it right afterwards. You can't hit a ball, obviously, but you you can fix it in your mind. 
And then when you get up there, it's a new it's a new shot. You have a new shot at it. So you may not have been as close to the hole as you wanted, but you have another opportunity. And I think that's uh, having having a reminder from from someone that hey, you, you're you should put yourself in a better frame of mind. That's also feedback. That was a, a very good way of putting it, Trillium. Using this this knowledge and using the information that we've discussed in this topic, what do you think is an instant aspect to go and apply into our coach? Now, what should coaches be doing more? Okay, well, so what should coaches be doing more under kind of under the auspices of feedback and how we give people feedback? What yeah. what if I had like a, a silver bullet magic golden truth of that <laughs> perfect silver bullet and golden truth and it's magic. What would you do? What would you do if you're that coach that you have to have in your back pocket every time? It's an interesting thought. I'm not sure that I've that I've put a lot of thought into the one takeaway here. What's the thing that you end up using the most? Or, or what's the thing that you wish that you could tell other coaches or even other golfers about what works best when you're working with students? Like that one thing that you wish everyone knew. Keep it on to one point, one concept at a time. So if if I've got a student or a player and and the player and we're talking about restricting the hip turn going back, let's say the person's way over turning going back and they're getting they're getting into a place where they can't make a good transition, then she restricts that backswing a little bit, but she duffs the shot. I'm not gonna acknowledge the duff shot because I'm looking through the lens of what's the hip, what are those pelvis What's the pelvis doing? What are their hips doing? So we've already established that the the purpose of our our upcoming swing will be to restrict the hip turn. So therefore, let's let's give feedback on the hip turn. So it's not a matter of hitting the ball well right then and there. It's a matter of did you make the change that you that you had intended on making? And I think it's it's like just staying really focused on that one thing. And then once that movement starts to be, become okay, then, then the ball flight hopefully improves. If there's something else you need to work on, then you say, okay, now, you know what? This part's working. But what I've noticed is we didn't get enough, enough of the, the weight into your front foot. I'm just making this up on the cuff in terms of what the, what the components may be. You could, use, you could use any example, technical example or otherwise. And so then you, you're into step two, which is getting something else, and then give the feedback on that, that second, second thought, rather than have somebody hit a shot and say, okay, that was okay, except you know you really didn't extend with your arms in the follow through. Or that, you know, okay, hip turn, fine, but oh, what, what went wrong? Um, you had a reverse pivot. So then it becomes way too confusing, and you've got too many things that, that you've commented on and the player doesn't know what to focus on. So I think staying completely, completely disciplined on one thing at a time is, will make a huge difference. And I know it does make a difference. I think that's a great place to end. I think that's a good message for, for a lot of players and coaches. And that's one thing that the more we look at learning and look at practice is that it's really about simplicity. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting information about the simplicity and can really be dived into, but it's in the simplicity that you find the greatest advances and, and the greatest improvement. So I love that message, Trillium. If people want to check out what you're doing or get in touch with you, where should we point people to? Sure. Point them to my website to begin with. My, uh, my email's on there. It's just Trillium, 
at PGA and trilliumrose.com. We'd love to hear people's comments and um, I'm happy to answer questions and, and go from there. I love talking about this stuff. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Trillium. This has been great. Yeah, thanks, Trillium. Thanks for having me, guys.